This is Brain Diet, episode number 18. I'm Taylor Ann Macy, and you are listening to Brain Diet, where we feed your brain good information. everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Today I am sharing with you a few of my favorite words. We know that how we think creates how we feel and how we think is made up of a bunch of little words. When we take a look at our mental health though, I think we too easily overlook certain little words that we find. We get too focused on the grand scheme or things that are really deep or things that are beyond our understanding. Now in my work as a life coach, I help people understand their mental health so that they can feel better. I mean, it's as simple as that. We understand mental health so that they can learn to feel better. Now there are times in our lives when we want to feel terrible. Like we want to feel devastated when people we love pass away. We want to be so sad when a tragedy occurs. And we want to be scared when we get an unknown and fearful medical diagnosis. And as a coach, it's not that I talk people out of that pain. Emotional pain serves a purpose in our lives to help us process and to help us grow. In fact, I help people learn how to feel those negative emotions and how to process them to grow. But there are other times in our lives when we feel terrible and we really don't need to. This type of pain prevents us from growing. It prevents us from processing. It keeps us stuck and it isn't necessary. It isn't necessary for our healing or for our overall growth. So in addressing that type of pain today, the pain that isn't necessary, I wanted to share some of my favorite words that can help alleviate some of that unnecessary pain. Now, all thoughts are sentences in our brain, and all thoughts create emotions, no matter how conscious or subconscious or unconscious. (laughs) So this unnecessary pain that I'm talking about is caused by the thoughts that we are having. These words that I will talk to you about today are words to use very strategically, but abundantly in your thoughts and in your mental mind patterns that will release you from a lot of suffering. So my very first favorite word is the word interesting. Now working with clients, I see where they will have a thought and then have so much drama about that thought. For example, a client will have the thought, I'm just not doing enough. And then they start to really believe that thought and then they start to have more thoughts like it and they have all this drama around it and there's like this dialogue that's saying, yeah, see, you didn't exercise today, so you're definitely not doing enough. You didn't even empty the kitchen sink today, so you can't even do the most basic things. You're definitely not doing enough. You should just quit 
and not do anything at all. What's the point? <laughs> like this is the type of dialogue that I hear in the people that I coach and they'll have this one thought and they'll think that it is so true and they'll believe it so wholeheartedly to just be so completely real. And then they'll look for evidence to support it and then send themselves down this spiral of drama and this state of pity. But just because you think a thought doesn't mean that it has to be true, nor does it mean you have to dwell on it. You can take a thought like that and use my favorite word and get on with your life. Like, hmm, my brain thinks I'm not doing enough. Interesting. I also remember seeing this drama pattern in myself right after I had my first baby. And I'll give you this example where the baby was days old and I would watch people holding him and walking around with him and I would just like envision them tripping and then his head like hitting the corner of a table and exploding like it was this most morbid thought and I was so shaken when I would have these thoughts like I would watch people walk around with my really new new newborn baby and have these like morbid visions of what might happen but then what happened is they dissipated and went away and then after my second baby I had the same types of things where I would watch people carry her and walk around and I would have these like thoughts of what if they trip and she cracks her head open and dies and this the second time around I was like oh interesting there's that thought again I also did this with my babies and giving them baths when I would bathe my babies when they were so little I would sit there and I would hold them and realize I could just let go like I am in complete control of their livelihood right now as I would like hold them in their little baby tub and the first time I had that thought with my first baby I was like am I a sociopath? (laughs) Like, is something wrong with me that I'm sitting here with my baby in a baby bathtub thinking I could just let go? Like I had so much drama and I was so worried and I was like completely beside myself that I would have thoughts like this and wondering why would I ever think something like that? I would never do something like that. And (laughs) again, with my second baby, That same thought would appear where I would have her in her tub and when I would have those thoughts, it was so much easier to have this word in my back pocket to be like, oh, there's that thought again. Interesting. (laughs) I'm not a sociopath. I'm just a human with a brain. Interesting, isn't it? (laughs) Like allowing your brain to just spin in drama like that is exhausting and you start to really question yourself. And I would argue that it's very unhelpful and not very useful to spin in that drama. And it gets in the way of you living your life and showing up as the person that you want to be. Like interrupt all of that drama with interesting. Like brains really do think some super strange and incorrect and very baffling thoughts sometimes. Like just let that brain do what it's going to do. Send it on its interesting way and allow it just to be its interesting self thinking very, very interesting thoughts. And this is a crucial word when it comes to how we treat ourselves. And I'll give you another uh, couple examples. Like I had planned to get all of the laundry done today and I didn't. 
Interesting. Or I had planned to eat a salad with chicken for dinner tonight, and I didn't. Hmm, interesting. I thought I would be on time today, and I wasn't. Interesting. I thought I was going to go to the gym today and work out, and I didn't. Interesting. I said something rude to someone today. Interesting. With all of those thoughts, we would normally beat ourselves up. We'd be like, come on, like, get it together. What is wrong with you? You suck. (laughs) Like we somehow believe that having that kind of dialogue with ourselves, telling ourselves that something is wrong with us, that we suck, like our brain thinks that that's helpful somehow. We get caught thinking that beating ourselves up over not doing things or doing things that we wouldn't prefer to do, that beating ourselves up like that will somehow make us better. But all it really does is just cause us emotional pain. It doesn't feel good to be told that you suck no matter who it's coming from. Yet we allow it all the time from our own brains without a second glance. There's no upside to beating ourselves up for things that didn't go as planned or as intended. Having compassion for yourself and your humanness is actually what allows you to be the best version of you. So you have to love yourself and all the interesting deviations along the path of your life. Like things didn't go as planned? Skip the drama and embrace the interesting. The next word is small, but it packs a punch. My second favorite word is and. I see this often where people come to me with a belief that one thing is at the effect of the other or where things are mutually exclusive. Like I coached a woman today who said, It's either we're smart and we have a schedule or we just don't plan, but we enjoy our summer. And I had to point out to her, I was like, why is it that you can't have a schedule and enjoy your summer? Like she thought that she had to either be smart and plan out every hour of the summer, or the only other option was just to not plan in order for her to enjoy the summer. But it's like, what if it's possible to have both? I also coached another woman who was saying, if I work, it means that I'm not a good enough mom. And I had to ask her, I was like, why is it that either you don't work and are a good enough mom or you do work and are not a good enough mom? Like, what if it were possible to work and be an amazing mom? To work and show up for your kids in the most amazing way. To work and be the best version of mom you could possibly be? What if it were possible to have both? We have to use the word and with thoughts that we have about ourselves as well. Like if we notice we're making observations like, "Ugh, I'm always late. Like, yeah, that might be true, but that's where the and comes in. I'm always late and I love me anyway. Like when it comes to our humanness and the type of mistakes that we make, I made a huge mistake and I love me anyway. I made a huge mistake and it's possible for me to grow. I made a huge mistake and I'm still amazing. 
Last, a great place for and is in saying no. Our usual phrase to people is, I love you, but no. (laughs) But why do love and saying no have to be at the effect of one another? Like, why does it have to be that you can't say no and love the person? What if it were possible to simply say, I love you and no? Like, I say that to my kids all the time. (laughs) I love them so much and I also tell them no sometimes. Like, I'll have been playing with them and I decide that it's time for me to make dinner and my three-year-old will say, but mom, play with me. And I'll say, buddy, I love you so much and no, not right now. I can love them and say no. And because of that, I show up in love so much more of the time than saying yes begrudgingly or resentfully or saying, I love you, but not enough to play with you. It's, I love you, and I'm not going to play right now. This also is really important and applies when other people make requests of us. It's not just your three-year-old asking you to play. (laughs) When other people make requests of you, you can love them and say no. Love and saying no don't have to be mutually exclusive. Now, my next favorite word is a small phrase. And this one has seriously relieved me of a whole lot of suffering and a whole lot of mental drama. This small phrase is, you're right. (laughs) I really felt the freedom that this phrase gave me with my husband. I realized that for some reason I would always get defensive with him for no reason. Like it, it didn't really make sense to me. And this is just a small example that is silly and yet this phrase just made this so much easier but Ben my husband doesn't like any food that is remotely doughy and I've always known this about him like since we were very first dating I knew he just didn't like anything that was undercooked and sometimes now like I'll make pancakes for the kids or I'll make this homemade bread every once in a while and he'll comment and say man this is doughy and then he won't eat it and I would take it so personally and I noticed that I would get so defensive and be like, no, it's not that, it's not that doughy. I tried to cook it through, you know, just, just eat, just give it a try. It's not that, it's not that doughy, whatever. Like I would try to talk him out of it. And like, I noticed I would even do it at restaurants too. And it was something that I didn't even make. Like he would order something and it would be undercooked and I'd be like, no, no, it's, it's not just try it. Like give it a shot. And I'd get so defensive over something that just made no sense. And I realized one day I was like, why am I doing this? (laughs) Sometimes I make things that are really doughy and undercooked. Sometimes foods in restaurants are just undercooked and doughy. He was right. I made pancakes and bread that was doughy. (laughs) Like this is such a silly thing, but it clicked with me that I was getting defensive for no reason. So now if he mentions something being doughy, my response is, yeah, you're right. It is. Sorry. And this is, I mean, that is such a simple example, but once I realized that I was doing it, it made me feel so much better when I just acknowledged the truth and I didn't take it personally. I do the same thing when my brother talks about how bossy I was as a kid. I am the oldest of four kids and I think I was very type A growing up and I really was a little bit bossy, (laughs) but 
he would comment on it and I would get so defensive about it. And I would be a little bit embarrassed and ashamed and I would kind of try to argue with him a little bit or I would try to change the subject until I just owned the truth and realized, no, he's right. I was really bossy. (laughs) Once I owned that, that he was right and I loved myself anyway, it made it all kind of funny and I was able to laugh at it. Like, yeah, I was really bossy as a kid. I have this phrase now, you're right. And with that phrase, it's like I've been able to accept myself, flaws and all. I don't get defensive anymore because no matter what someone could say, I always tell myself, yeah, you're right. And I love myself anyway. Like any comment that I get now about myself, whether it's just an observation, like I make undercooked pancakes sometimes, or if it's like a real criticism, I'm able to see truth in it and know that it's okay. I had received a DM on Instagram a few months ago from a person who said that something that I posted was insensitive and ignorant. And I didn't know that at the time, but seeking to understand her, I responded and I said, you're probably right. I'm so sorry. And I wasn't even being sarcastic in saying that this person was right. I genuinely was sure that there was probably ignorance and some insensitivity in what I had said, but I didn't get defensive or angry because she was probably right. And that's okay because I make mistakes and I love me anyway. People can be right about whatever they want to think about me and I can love me anyway. So if you ever notice yourself getting defensive about something that someone has said, or even if you get defensive when someone criticizes a TV show that you like, like why do you get defensive over that? I don't know. Speaking personally, for some reason I get defensive when people criticize shows that I like. And so having this phrase in my back pocket, if this happens to you, question if there is truth in it and own it. Saying, yeah, you're right it totally diffuses a situation. It's magical. Now, my next favorite word is the word maybe. This is kind of my combat word whenever my brain offers me thoughts that scare me. And it's also this magical diffuser and takes away so much drama. For example, the thought, my husband might cheat on me. Yeah, maybe. Or my kids are going to hate me. Yeah, maybe. Or my dad is going to be furious with me. Yeah, maybe. Or I might throw up while I'm public speaking. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Sometimes we have thoughts like that and we try to like talk ourselves out of them. We try to be like, oh, that will never happen. Don't worry. But by acknowledging that, yeah, maybe I could. It's like shining a light on the truth and how it doesn't have to be as scary as we think. It's like in movies when there's a bush that's like rustling, it's this big bush and all of the people are like freaked out about what's gonna be behind the bush and then they shine a flashlight on it and it's a bunny. Like if we try to just ignore the bush and like talk ourselves out of it, but we sit next to it and and we just aren't really sure what to think and oh, it's not gonna happen, but what if? Like we are just skirting around facing the facts. Whatever possibility your brain offers you, don't let your mind spin too much. Just combat it with, yeah, maybe. Now the next and final word slash phrase that I use every single day is, so what? 
This is a trick similar to what the word maybe does in that it allows your brain to go to the worst case scenario and face it head on. This is again where sometimes we try to talk ourselves out of things, we don't shine a light on the problem, and we just kind of sulk in it and allow our brain to just swim in drama. Like for example, I plan to lose 50 pounds and I lost 10. Like we could make something like this mean all sorts of things about ourselves and our capabilities and our willpower and our worth and so on. And we have to like stop ourselves right there. I plan to lose 50 pounds and I lost 10. All right, so what? Or my husband is looking at porn. All right, so what? Or my family went on an entire outing and didn't invite me. All right, so what? (laughs) Like when I was in my coach certification program in the very beginning and I was getting all of my practicum hours and I was getting all sorts of feedback on my coaching, I would get certain points of feedback and have so much drama in my head about it. I'd be like, I'm never going to be a good coach. And I would be so hard on myself and looking at the feedback and being like, yeah, so what? Like it helped me kind of laugh about it and be like, oh yeah, so what? I'm just on my journey to become a good coach. I need this feedback. So what? And asking that, asking so what can really be revealing of what story our brain is brewing about. Saying so what can also stop that story in its tracks and clear our minds a little bit. So if something has happened that you're feeling all sorts of unnecessary pain about, ask yourself, eh, so what? So my friends, those are my favorite words to just slip into thoughts to help my life be so much better. Interesting and maybe and so what so give those words a try slip them into your brain a little bit use them abundantly all the time and just see what happens for you if you want help with many more words and all the tips and tricks to help you eliminate all this unnecessary suffering you can schedule a free mini session with me the link is in the show notes it's free nothing to lose people I love you all. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great week.